Welcome to Grace Church, everybody. Welcome to everybody at the Montrose Building and online and our live sites. Thanks for joining us as well. Um, hey, I want to like uh, jump back to uh, something that Brad talked about. That's Discovery Group. Big deal. Uh, if you guys can make it to that, it's super duper important and I think will be very, very valuable for you. So that is uh, right after this service uh, down the community room. We'll have Chipotle there. But you have to stay. You can't just get Chipotle. Um, but uh, we'll take care of you, and I'll be there um, just walking you through the, the first week of that. It will really help you get your head around Grace Church. And uh, if you feel disconnected, it will help you to connect. Uh, that's really the main reason that, that we do it. And so uh, take that leap. If you've been thinking about it for a while, or if you're nervous about it or something like that, Take that leap and be a part of it, and um, I think you'll be really glad that you do. So that's, that's today, and, uh, and want you to be a part of it. So I have Chipotle and lots of hand sanitizer, and so everybody will live through the experience, so it'll be fun. Um, we're starting a new series this weekend called Going All Out, and uh, what we're doing is we're kind of hearkening back to a vision effort that we put in place a year ago. It's a, a year already that we launched All In, All Out. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with our, our vision efforts here, um, it's kind of a normal rhythm of who we are as a church family. If, you, if you've come in the last year or so or just kind of getting your feet wet at Grace, it's kind of a natural part of what we do. So just real quick to explain, uh, Grace Church is a local church, right? So we want you to feel connected, you to feel loved, you to discover Christ, grow in Him, understand his, his, uh, his word, the Bible more, have relationships. We want all of that. That's part of like what discovery would help with, life groups, those kind of things. But in kind of addition to that, grace is a movement. And uh, it's a movement of local churches. We call that movement 30 and 30. And so 30 and 30 is our desire and effort to start 30 campuses. You can think of them as church plants. So 30 churches or 30 campuses in a 30-year window. Uh, we've started eight so far, and we have uh, 24 and a half years to start 22 more. And so we're on track, but we work at that a lot. And that's something we're all kind of involved with in one way or another. So in order to kind of break that into manageable pieces, what we do is we break it into what we call three-year chapters. So like, for instance, chapter one of 30 and 30, if you're a part of game day basketball, if you've been playing basketball at the Montrose building or you're watching uh, this at the Montrose building right now, uh, the Montrose building was a part of chapter one, and we called that the Big Little Project, and launching our sports ministries and things like that was a part of chapter one. Uh, chapter two, then three years later, was called the Seed Project, and that was us starting our uh, Ellet campus, our Northeast Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia campuses, and really uh, working hard with our interns and our residents. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. And then chapter three was all in, all out. And this is the, the one-year anniversary of that four-year effort of all in, all out. So all in, all out has three big components to it. Uh, one is our sports ministry. And so right now in game day, just basketball, uh, there's nearly 600 kids that are a part of game day every week. And so if you're over at the Montrose building or if you ever want to pop over there on a Saturday, 
Uh, they'll have about two to 3,000 people will cycle through that building on a Saturday, and they'll run game day from about 7 a.m., and then they'll kind of wrap it up, put it away, and set up for services to about, about 8 or 9 p.m. It just runs all day long. And so we looked at that and said, man, God is working there. That's just one program for kids. There's also five, 600 adults that are involved in the sports ministry right now. And we said, man, we've just run out of space. If we could expand the space, we could double the program. Uh, 50% of those kids do not attend church anywhere on a regular basis. Over 100 different elementary schools are represented uh, in game day. And we just know that we could do more and more if we had this space. So we decided together to build that space. We tried to buy it used, and we did a whole bunch of things, and it just came down to the idea that we need to, we just have to create it. It doesn't exist. And so we decided to build that athletic facility and, uh, and to move that way. We want to take game day to twelve to 1,500 people a week and year-round with different sports and disciple and evangelize, help people know Jesus through sports ministry. So next weekend, I'm going to tell you all about that building and uh, when we're going to break ground and when construction is going to start. And it's going to be very disruptive. You think it's hard to get up losing an hour's sleep. You're going to have to want to come to church for the next 18 to 24 months. But it's going to be fun. And I'll fill you in on that. So it's all good news. It's all exciting news. It's all fun news. And you have to come next weekend to find out about it or you'll never know. It's going to be a secret. And so cliffhanger, uh, I'll tell you about that next weekend. The second big element of All In, All Out is what we call 30 and 30, but it's our residential, our residents and intern training, raising up next generation leaders and campus planting. And so our campus in Northeast Atlanta, we have two campuses in Atlanta, Georgia. Campuses God's going to open up in other places. I'll tell you about next week also. And then the training of our interns and residents. So we have 45 young men and women who are studying for full-time ministry right now here at Grace. So just so you know, Grace has a fully accredited undergrad program that these students are a part of. It's just like going to Ohio State, except they have a better football team than we do. But it, 45 of them in full-time ministry, interns and residents, and if you are feeling called to full-time ministry or wondering what your next move is for college or want to pick up another degree, it's fully accredited and all the kind of perks that go with that are tied into it. And then we announced a couple weeks ago that we also this fall are launching a fully accredited, just like Ohio State, master's degree this fall. So if you would like to study the Bible deeper and kind of a formal way, or you have continuing education credits that you get for work and stuff like that, all that can apply because of the accreditation, and that will launch, and that will train our uh, residents who are, uh, who are working and planning on being pastors, missionaries, directors, Christian workers in our movement as well as across the world. And so 30 and 30 helps to underpin all of that as well as to finance and underpin our, um, our church planting efforts. And then the last piece of All In, All Out was our effort to do something and to engage in the opioid crisis in Northeast Ohio. And so uh, you guys know that Northeast Ohio is a, is a hot spot, unfortunately, for opioid addiction, heroin addiction. 
and is devastating many, many families. In fact, let me just do this. We did this a year ago. If you have a family member, a coworker, roommate, classmate, uh, a friend, if you are directly affected by heroin opioids, raise your hands right now. Just put them up. See, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We, we do uh, probably a funeral a month uh, here tied to, to heroin, to opioids. And so we're, we wanted to do something about that. We've been wanting to do something for a, a while. Uh, wasn't sure what to do. Knew better just to throw money at it. And we believe that God brought us a plan that we have engaged. And so we're creating, helping to create something called Restore Heroin Recovery or Opioid Recovery Center. And what we're doing is building, helping to build a 70-bed inpatient residential treatment program uh, to help people break free from opioid addiction. So... I went out, I interviewed the director, and we, I wanted you to see kind of what was happening uh, on site there. And so this is Dan Gregory that you're going to meet. He's the director of uh, Restore uh, Heroin Recovery Ministries, and uh, I'll let him talk, and then you'll see the site a little bit. So let's watch this video together. Uh, we've been out at the site, and it's fun. Ground is broken, and uh, some foundations are laid uh, Dan, what, what's the update? What's the update with construction, with eMERGE counseling, with the ministry side of it? Just bring us up to speed real quick with it. I will. And first, thank you again for your support. It's been uh, just amazing to see the groundswell of support for Restore. Um, but as of this point, um, construction is underway. The foundation and the footers have been laid, and the, the walls have been set for the phase one, the lower level. Now they're at the point where they're laying all the underground piping and they're gonna do that for the next month or two and then you'll see the walls come up. So we've just been very blessed. Weather's been not so great, but the team is working <laughs> through it. And uh, the goal is still to, to be open around November or December of this year. Which is mind boggling that we're, we're that close. Cause this has been a dream for a while, right? We've, you especially, God laid this on your heart. You saw this need. You really, God's used you to, to drive this forward in our community, kind of introduced it to Grace Church. And uh, we got excited about it. We all got excited about it. In fact, we committed a um, million dollars to come along beside this. And that's from all of you. And as a part of our All In, All Out project, that was a big part of it. And it's allowed not just us, but the greater church community and others, it's allowed us to really make this thing into a reality. Yes. And it's been a blast. The, the building's going up late in the year, we're hoping November, December, but we're working on the ministry side behind the scenes a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that and how kind of those foundations are being put in place as well. Well, I mean, as exciting as the building is, and it really is exciting, it was a project that uh, we, from day one, we looked at this as a home, not an institution. So as you walk through the building, it feels like a large home. Um, but what goes inside the building is more exciting than what the building actually is. So what we've done with Emerge Counseling is really break up that 12 months into two large sections. Section one is what we call the 30-day foundation. And that's taking people from really unstable to stable. And in that first 30 days, we're gonna love on the guys, we're gonna share Christ with them, we're gonna feed them well, we're gonna get them into community, we're gonna teach them about addiction and about Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the 30 days, when they feel safe, when they feel loved, we'll ask them, do you want to commit to the next 11 months, which we call the 11, the 11 months transformation. 
So the first 30 days gets him to stabilization, the next 11 months gets him to transformation. And Emerge has just been able to come in and provide such great input as to what those men need in that first 30 days especially, but in the, the following 11 months. And this is the exciting part of what's going on with Restore. This is, this is professional rehabilitation, right? These guys are coming off of addictions. It's professional counseling. And then they're learning to live and learning to work, but it's all Christ-centered. So Jesus is at the forefront of the whole thing. And they're being counseled and they're going through kind of the medical process of detoxing and being uh, brought from their addictions. But that transformation is Christ and it's discipleship and it's the local church and things that we'll get to be a part of as, uh, as we love them and help them and serve them as well. So wanted you guys to meet Dan. This stuff is so exciting. Uh, I'm so grateful. We're so grateful for your support. This is normal folks making normal commitments, you know, and we just pulled together and got to be a part of it. I, I can say on behalf of Grace Church, it's a privilege for us. This is something we're proud and excited about. And uh, we know our community needs it. And so grateful, grateful for your leadership and your vision and grateful that we get to be a part of it in a small way and looking forward to what God's going to continue to do through this ministry. So exciting stuff, right? We're thrilled about that and, and uh, excited that that's becoming a reality. So that will play out. Uh, our goal is still November, December, and that's what we're shooting for, to be open and actually servicing uh, folks who need help. And so that's what we're working hard for and, and uh, shooting for. We will engage in the discipleship process. So we're on the board and kind of in these meetings and talking them through. Uh, we want these guys that are recovering from addictions to be locked into to Christian relationships, Christ-centered relationships. We want them to have a church. We're going to kind of serve as their church home, especially our Ellet campus, Pastor Ryan's campus, which is about a mile or so from where this is being built. And so loving those, the, the folks who are in treatment, but also their families and the support systems that they uh, uh, also need. So super excited about that and uh, just praising God that that's kind of on the move. So this is a big deal and it's a big part of who Grace is. It, like I said, if you're newer to Grace, just getting your feet wet. Uh, there's a bunch of us always like that at Grace Church who are kind of uh, new to things. I want to invite you to catch up to speed on All In, All Out because it, it really will drive us. We, we'll talk a lot about it and, and invest a lot into it over the next few years. That's how these vision efforts work. Uh, so you can go, go to the website, uh, go to the app and, and read up on that stuff. I also want to invite you out to, we'll have like desserts where I'll walk you through and talk you through what we're doing so that you can not feel like you're watching it, but that you're actually a part of it. And it, it's just exciting. It's exciting that it's becoming a reality and all the news is good news. And uh, we want to we focus on that and, uh, and celebrate it here for the next, next couple of weeks, all right? Now this weekend, what I wanted to do was I wanted to not just bring you up to speed, uh, but I wanted to kind of take us back. And I wanted us to remember why we made these decisions. And we want us to remember the motivation. What would motivate us to get involved in things like this individually and then together as a, as a church family? 
I remember years ago, um, I was asked to come speak at a, a church that was celebrating their 75th birthday. And so they, they asked if I would come down and, and uh, talk at that. So made the arrangements, went down there, was, was honored to do that. It was, it was fun. I remember getting ready to like launch into the service and uh, they handed me a piece of paper and it, it showed me the, the highlights of uh, what were kind of like the high points of the church over the last 75 years. And I, I remember seeing that and having two reactions to it. One was, I looked and I thought, well, these, there's folks that have been really, really faithful. It's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to have a church and, and to support it and work in it and to do that for 75 years means that there's multiple generations that have engaged that. And so I was grateful for like the folks that were a part of it. And then I had this thought. I thought, when we hit our 75 year mark, I hope this is not our highlight list. I hope our highlight list is something different. Uh, on that list, the first five or seven years was like first service, first you know, Sunday school launch kind of a thing, and then it was like first person accepted Christ, first baptism, first missionary was sent, kind of stuff like that. And then five, seven years into it, it settled into things like auditorium was built, fellowship hall was built, parking lot was paved, roof of auditorium was fixed, new sound system was bought, and it all turned into things things, tangible, bricks and mortar that was put up. And I remember thinking, I hope this is not what we celebrate at the end of 75 years, right? And when we do these big vision campaigns, especially if there's a building, sometimes there's a building, sometimes there's not. This time around, there happens to be some buildings. And I remember thinking, I hope that we keep this in perspective. At Grace, our buildings are tools, they're not trophies. Our buildings are tools, they're not trophies. We'll build them if, if we can't buy them somewhere else. Like we'll, we'll build them if we have to. And like restore like we needed to build that. It didn't exist another way. And even our athletic facility, we tried, we looked at buying used stuff and we just, we like just needed to build it. It was just the way to tackle it. And so those things will go up, and what you're seeing created is a tool, not a trophy. I hope that our 75th anniversary, we have trophies, right? First service, youth ministry launched, urban initiative launched, first missionaries sent, 5,000 people accept Jesus, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 1,000 pastors sent, <clears throat> 30, 40, 50, 100 churches started. I just, I just want us to have a different highlight list, one that's tied to people. And then, praise God, when we needed a building, we built one or we bought one, right? It, it, it's a tool. Praise God for God's faithfulness through his people that when the tool was needed, the resources were given and we got the tool. But the goal and the motivation is not the tool, it's what you create with the tool. And the people that God would have us lead, love and, and lead and engage with. 
And this weekend, I just want to take us back there and, and kind of remind us a little bit that this is why we did this and why we're doing this and why we'll do the next thing, right? So that we can love and connect and reach the people that God would, <clears throat> would have us to reach. And that is what God would have his people, his church, do. Let, let me show you this. Uh, if you got your Bibles, Romans chapter 13. If you want to use the ones in the chairs, it's page 921 in those Bibles. <clears throat> Romans 13, page 921. So Romans is written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had a special authority to speak on God's behalf. And a lot of what Paul did was he would explain kind of in a, a more thorough way what Jesus' teachings meant to, to the early followers of Jesus. And so that's what he's doing here in Romans, in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he, he kind of expands or hearkens back to something Jesus said. He says this, verse 8, chapter 13, Romans, he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you should not murder, you shouldn't steal, you should not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbors as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And Paul is hearkening back to something Jesus said. There was a guy that asked Jesus, he's like, hey, what do you want me to do? What's it mean to follow you? Which, which rule should I keep? And Jesus says, I give you two that sums it up, here it is, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul goes back and he's grabbing that. He's like, he's looking and saying, guys, there's all these commands, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, but all the commands are summed up in one thing, love your neighbor. And if you'll love your neighbor, <clears throat> then you will be fulfilling all of the commands. And then he uses this really interesting phrase. In verse eight, he says, let no debt remain outstanding. So this no debt remain outstanding, he's not talking about a financial debt here. He's talking about a relational debt. So he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And so he's looking at us, he's saying, guys, let no debt remain outstanding. This is, this is like the I scratch your back, you scratch mine, you owe me one, bro, kind of a thing. I did the dishes last night, you do the dishes tonight. It's not my turn, <clears throat> that kind of thing. <clears throat> and Paul's saying, don't let that debt remain outstanding. But there is one debt that remains outstanding. It's the continuing debt to love one another. That if I'm a Christ follower, I'm in debt relationally, and the way that I act on that debt is to love one another. It's kind of this weird phrase a little bit, right, that, that Paul lays out there. And he, he hearkens back to what Jesus was saying, love me, heart, soul, mind, and strength, love one another, and don't that debt kind of stays in place, right? And he's talking about the debt that we owe to Christ 
and we quote unquote pay him by loving each other. How do I pay Jesus back for what he did for me? When Jesus stepped out of heaven and he came to earth and he lived sinlessly and he laid down his life for me and then by his own power took it up again and created salvation for me, how do I pay that back? What does God want? What's the command? It, do, I, do I make like a monthly payment? Is that what a tithe is? It's my monthly payment to God? And I kind of manage the debt of love that I have for, from Christ? Is that it? Is it like going to church? Like, Jesus, you laid your life down for me, so tell you what, I'll hit you up once a week, hang out with you at church. Would that be the debt? See, that wouldn't, see it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It feels like almost a little bit creepy if we boiled it down to that. So what is this <clears throat> outstanding debt of love is, and how is it paid? What Paul is alluding to, and we'll see here more in a minute, he's saying that the way that I pay the continuing debt of love, the payment, quote unquote, that I make, the continuing debt of love, is to love my neighbor as myself. I cannot repay this debt. The only thing that I can do in response to the debt is be changed by the love that God poured onto me and what he did for me. And that change looks like me loving people the way that God would love people. Okay. Um, a few weeks ago, we had a, a young man as a part of our church that, that lost his life through a sickness. And one of the things that was very important to him and was very important to his wife was that something good come out of his death. And so it was very important to him that he donate his organs to, to someone else. And so there's three people that are alive right now because Brad donated his organs, okay? The debt of love that those people and their families owe to Brad, how do you repay that? See, do you, you send a thank you note and like, well, that wouldn't feel right. Would you send money? I mean, that would not feel good. What, what do you do? Well, when you receive love like that and it's life-saving love, you feel indebted. The only way to repay that debt of love is to be changed. See? My life is changed, my life is invested differently, my life is lived in response to the love that was shown to me. And my guess would be, <clears throat> if, you are, if that person who received one of the organs is a family member, if your family member was a recipient of Brad's love, my guess would be that Almost everybody who saw their loved one saved by Brad giving his organs, I bet you they became organ donors. Where they would look and say, the only, the only way I can actually say thank you or act on what was done for us is to do for somebody else what Brad did for me. It's, it's the only thing that would like remotely make sense. See, I would just do what he did. Paul is saying this, this continuing debt of love, see, 
The only way to act on that is, is to love the way that I have been loved. I'm so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that I can't, what am I going to send a check? See, what, what do you do? The only way that you can repay it is to be changed by it and to love people the way that Christ loved us. Now, why are we in this debt? And therefore, why do, why do we need to act on the continuing debt of it? What, what causes us to be in this debt? Well, the Bible tells us this, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're in the debt we're in because of sin. So the Bible says that every human being who's ever lived sins. What is sin? Sin is any violation of God's perfection, and we know that we violated it, and we act on it anyways. So God's standard is not goodness. God's standard is perfection. He is perfect. And perfection and imperfection cannot coexist with each other. So we know that we're imperfect. We understand how we're imperfect. And we act on that imperfection on purpose. And that's what sin is. So this is my favorite thing to do ever. Let me just prove it to you. Ready? Who in here has ever told a lie? Raise your hand. On purpose. Right? Oh, my word. Like, who, who in here has ever had a lustful thought on purpose? Put both hands up. Don't be a chicken. Who, who in here has ever stolen on purpose? See? You're imperfect. You know what that imperfection is, and you act on it. That's sin. Now, the problem with sin is that God's perfect. So our imperfection, our willful imperfection, separates us from God. And the Bible says... The wages. Wages are what we earn for what we do. The wages of that is spiritual death. It's separation from God. Right? So as human beings, we're stuck in this cycle. This cycle of sin that we cannot get ourselves out of. We go deeper and deeper into the debt of sin. You guys ever heard the phrase? My dad used to say this all the time. He's an old country boy. He used to say... Uh, I sold my soul to the company store, or don't sell your soul to the company store. You ever heard that phrase? You gotta kind of be a little bit of a hillbilly to know what that means, but um, this is what that means. My dad was raised in like Southern Ohio, Kentucky, down there, Appalachia, West Virginia. You'll hear that phrase a lot. Don't sell your soul, or I sold my soul to the company store. And what that phrase means is this. The old coal miners would mine coal for the coal company, and when you were a coal miner for the coal company, you would rent your house from the coal company. They also owned your house. And you would buy your food from the company store. So you buy your food, you buy your clothes, and even your tools from the company store. And then your children would go to school at the company school. In fact, most, many old mining companies, they didn't even pay you in U.S. currency. They actually had their own currency. You only got company money that could be spent on company rent and buy things at the company store and help your kids go to the company school. And the reason they would do that is they would cause you to be in a perpetual state of debt. 
So you always owed the company. No matter how hard you worked, you'd always owe the company. You would sell your soul to the company store. And you'd be trapped in it. The Bible, when it talks about sin, uses phrases like this. It uses phrases like, I'm trapped. It uses metaphors like, it says, I'm enslaved to sin. Uh, I, I am dead in my sin. See, I'm in a cycle that I cannot break myself out of no matter how hard I work, I'm not going to get ahead of the company store. Sin is designed to keep me trapped in it, so to say. And the wages, what do I get for that? I get death. I just earn more. It's just more sin. I go deeper, deeper, deeper in debt. The only way for me to get out of that debt is for somebody to come from the outside and break the cycle that I cannot break on my own. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God intervenes, he breaks in and he shatters the cycle. He pays off the debt. Metaphors like this, he rescues us. He causes us to move from death to life. He frees us from bondage. He frees us from slavery. He breaks the cycle so that we can have a different life than we could ever produce on our own. And it is a gift. I don't have the ability to break the cycle. I can't mine enough coal. It's a gift of God and it gives me eternal life and it's all through Jesus Christ, my Lord. It is a debt of love. Jesus loved me. He gave his life for me. It is a debt of love. And when I look at what Christ did and what he did on the cross and his initiative in breaking me free from a cycle that I couldn't break myself from, I send him a thank you note. I... I throw 50 bucks in every week, I make a payment, or it is, is it a continuing debt? The only thing I can really do is be changed by it, to, to embrace the freedom that Jesus purchased from me. How do I pay that continuing debt? What do you want from me? I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to love people the way that I loved you. That's it. All the law is summed up in that. You fulfill all the commandments if you do that. I want you to love your neighbor, and I want you to love them the way that I loved you. Now, how do you do that? So in chapter 12 of Romans, the page back from this, the Apostle Paul walks us through this a little bit. What does the continuing debt of love look like? He says this in verse one. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. That word urge is a fascinating word. I'll, I'll Bible nerd on you here for a second. So we translate the English from the Greek. And that word urge is a fascinating word to translate because it doesn't, the Greek word doesn't hit our, our North American ear well. We're not sure what to do with it. So the word urge is stronger than the idea of begging. 
So Paul's, Paul's not standing up saying, guys, come on. Let me tell you what to do. You should so do it. He's not doing that, right? He's not begging. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. But, right, so, but I, I, now it's on video. So like, he's, not, he's not begging, right? And he's not commanding. He's not saying, listen, we'll tell you what to do. Are you gonna? He's not doing that. So he's not commanding. He's not begging. He's urging. And the way that we would hear this in the North American ear is it would be this idea. He might say, guys, listen, let's do some math. Let's do some math, right? I'm not begging you. I'm not commanding you. I'm just saying, let's do some math. So guys, I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, let's do some math. Here's the word problem, okay? Let's do some math. In view of God's mercy, because you were trapped in sin, and Jesus rescued you. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. These words in Greek, the way that we would hear those in their purest form in our English ear is this way. In view of God's mercy, this is your logical and rational or logical and reasonable act of worship. So what Paul's saying here is this. He's saying, guys, let's do some math. In light of what Christ did for you, the debt he paid, let's do some math. The only reasonable or logical way to act on that debt of love is to offer your bodies as a sacrifice and worship to God. Offer yourself, your life as a sacrifice. The only reasonable and logical way to respond to someone giving you life is for you to give your life for the things they gave their life for. To be changed by it. Let's do some math. You're not going to write me a check... You're not going to like knock out a sin. I, I finally figured out how not to be Captain F-bomb. I'm not going to knock out a sin. The only thing that makes sense in light of what Jesus did was to love people the way that Jesus loved them. It's the only thing he really wants. All the commandments are summed up. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. What's the pattern of the world? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. The pattern of the world is a contractual love. You do this for me, I do this for you. You speak nice to me, and I'll speak nice to you. You clean the house for me, and I'll clean the house for you. That's a contractual love. That's the pattern of the world. So he says, don't do that. That's, not, that's bad math. Does that sound like it's reasonable, rational, and logical response to what Christ did for us? It feels creepy. What's reasonable and rational is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's that mean? That means instead of thinking the way that I would think on my own, I'm going to think the way that Jesus thought. I'm going to see who Jesus sees. I'm going to love who Jesus loves. I'm going to do for others what Christ has done for me. When I have God's mindset and I'm doing his math and I'm acting in a reasonable, rational, logical response to what's been done for me, 
When my life and my heart and mind are in that position, then I'll be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then I will know how to love my neighbor as myself. And I will know who that neighbor is supposed to be in a given situation. Once I'm seeing what God sees and loving who God loves and responding and, and the only logical way to respond to what Christ has done for me, then I will know what to do and I will know how to respond. I'll know how to act on paying my continual debt of love. Many years ago, um, Heidi and I were at a picnic with a bunch of pastors, and it was like a social thing. And so we were, you know, it was a picnic. So it was horseshoes and cornhole and hamburgers, hot dogs, and Diet Coke because we're pastors. And so, you know, we're at the picnic. And one of the things at the picnic there, there was this huge pond at the picnic. And uh, on one, it's like this oblong pond, like an egg. And, and one side of it was like cattails and muck and like pond, normal pond stuff. And at the other end of it, they put like a beach in, in it and, and like a swimming area. And then if you swam out far, there was like a, a diving platform. Can you get this in your mind? Like a, you, know, you swim out to it and you jump up there. You jump off this platform and the slide's like in the middle of the pond and the diving board's in the, in the middle of the pond. And so families were there. I, didn't, I don't think we had kids yet. So we were just kind of there hanging out and kids were swimming and I was playing cornhole and winning, <laughs> by the way, and mocking the person that I was beating, which is what it's like to do something with me. And so uh, we were doing that. So Heidi and I are like goofing off, talking with this other couple playing. And uh, my, my mentor, one of my great heroes in life is a guy named Pastor Bob, Bob Combs. And uh, he was at this picnic too. And as we're playing cornhole, I see, like out of the corner of my eye, Bob jump in the mucky end of the pond and start swimming. And it was almost, like I just like barely like noticed. I'm like, what is that? It was enough that I could, it was weird. And I watched, he, he jumped into the pond and he started swimming. And I don't know if it was the, the look on his face or the oddness of what he was doing, but when I saw him start swimming, I saw him and then I followed like his gaze and then I saw what he saw. So what he saw was these two kids that were swimming out to this like diving platform, and the, the girl had put her little brother on her back and was gonna swim him out there to go down the slide. And when, when she got beyond where she could touch, she couldn't make the swim. And so they were going under, right? They're going under. And so she would like go down and, and like hit the bottom and push up and they were drowning. And Bob had seen that. Nobody else saw it but Bob. I saw Bob jump in, me and another pastor named Clancy, we both saw Bob. And when we saw Bob, we saw what he saw, and then we knew what to do. And as we're doing this math, you know what happens like in a split second as you're doing this math, we realized very quickly it was actually faster for us 
to run around the pond and get to the kids than it was to swim to them. And so that's what we, I was, I was dressed like this and just ran around and Clancy ran around and we jumped in and he went after kind of one kid and I went after the other kid. When I saw Bob, I saw what he saw. I didn't see the kids. If it was up to me, the kids would have drowned. I saw the rescuer. And when I saw what he saw, I was able to test and approve what his will was in that situation. God would look at his people and he would say, do you know what I want you to do? I want you to see who I see. And I want you to see what's happening to them. And in view of the fact that I saw you and what was happening to you, I want you to do for them what I did for you. Look at me, and when you see what I see, then you'll know what to do. Last year, when we looked at our father, and we saw that he saw these kids. He saw them drowning. He saw them not knowing who he was. Kids that literally had never even touched a Bible do not know who Jesus Christ is. This is Akron, Ohio. That has nothing to do with anything. They're drowning. Most of them never set foot in the church. Most of them don't have dads in their home. He saw a single mom who would kind of do anything to have a, a safe, loving man interact with their kids. Single dad who needs hope. He saw people drowning. And when we saw what he saw, we knew what to do. Do you, do you see these communities that Christ sees that don't have a clear and accessible representation of the gospel? And they need a church Jeff, that's, that's just down the road. I know. Just like you never go to their neighborhood, they never come to yours. There is not a clear and accessible representation of the gospel. Christ sees them. If we see what he sees, then we know what to do. You see these young men and women who are saying, I'll, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll go to school. I'll learn how to do it. I'll be the church planner. Christ sees their hand raised. 
You see these drug addicts, alcoholics, families who do not know what to do and people who are drowning. God sees them. And when we see what he sees, then we know what to do. And last year, we did not decide to build buildings. We decided to rescue people. We just jumped in the water. Well, why that, why that? Well, we just saw that God saw something. There was math we did. And God would look and say, right, that's what, that's the natural in view of my mercy. That's the reasonable, rational, logical response. There's nothing weird about that. That's what my people do. And if they'll just find who I'm looking at, then they'll know that at this time, those people in this way, go get them. There's two things I'll never forget about that day. One is, I'll never forget when I got to my kid, I'll never forget how he embraced me. I don't know if you've ever rescued somebody before, I'll tell you something. He was just a little kid. If I wasn't stronger than he was, he would have drowned me. I, I've never been squeezed so tight in my... In fact, he grabbed around my arms and then locked his legs around me. I, I was like, eh, I couldn't, right? So it, it was only because I was stronger than him that I could break his grip and he finally got around my neck and I just basically held my breath. If you have never rescued someone... You will never forget how they cling to you. They're desperate. They're scared. They may feel aloof and act like a jerk, but they're just desperate and scared. And when you get to them, because nobody's going for them. Everybody else is caught up in life. The other thing that I'll never forget is the look in Pastor Bob's eyes. I will never forget that. I grabbed this kid and kind of worked in, and then I could, you know, in, in, a, in a little bit I could touch. And once I could touch, I just started walking, you know, back. And I'll never forget Pastor Bob. I got the kid. I started walking back. He followed me swimming. And I finally... He got to the kid and, and he tried to take the kid out of my arms. And I finally put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, Bob, he, he's safe. And he, Bob was in the shallow and didn't even realize it. He just kept swimming. I had, I had to tell him, I said, Bob, you can stand up. Like, it's okay. Everybody's safe. His eyes were on fire. And I could tell you what was going to happen. He was going to save that kid or he was going to die trying. There was no other option. 
and his heart. He was, he was going to offer his life. He was being a living sacrifice. He was going to offer his life. He was offering his life. Guys, listen. This is what Christ does for you. We're all, we all owe our soul to the company store. You cannot break out of that cycle. You're drowning. And Christ did not stand on the side and say, well, you know, you made a lot of bad decisions. He dove in and he got you and you clung to him and he pulled you to safety and you're in debt. And what do you do? What do you say to someone who has saved your life? You become a lifesaver. I love you like Christ has loved me. That's it. And I, when I see him lock on to the kid, to the neighborhood, to the addict, to your roommate, to your spouse, to your child, to your coworker, when I see him lock on, when I see what the father sees, then I'm able to test and approve. I understand then what the Father would have me do. I put this in our notes. The people of God, what do we do? We love radically. We're not just nice and polite. It's not the calling of the believer. We love radically. And I said we rescue relentlessly. They're gonna be rescued or we're going down. Those are the options. Because all in, all out's gonna play out. And then there's gonna be the next thing. And then there's gonna be the next thing. Why? Because it's what, it's what we are. It's not a project, it's not a financial goal. It's not a building. It's a people on a mission, following the lead of our God, and in view of his mercy, we jump in the pond. All right. Would you pray with me? The band's coming out. Jesus, love you. Uh. Thank you for positioning us where you have us as a church, God. And Lord, when I think about the millions of dollars and all of the effort, God, I, I dream about the, the thousands of people 
thousands and thousands who will be rescued from their addictions, far from you, don't even know you. They don't know that you're their liberator. The, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who will go through something as silly as a gym, but they'll encounter you and your people. The, the countless people who will be affected because there's a church that for generations can declare your name, God. So thank you for letting us be a part of it. And God, even as we're a part of something so great, help us not to miss the person we're sitting beside. Our little brother, our roommate, our friend. God, let us see what you see. Give us courage and faith and an instinct to jump in the pond, to go after what you're after. In these moments, God, would you press us into our hearts in deep and life-changing ways. Do that even now, Jesus, in your name.